0: Welcome. You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Hello. Thank you for joining us for the Friday, January 27th, 2023 reading of the Human Health Program. My name is Emily Crocker. On today's program, When to Eat for Health from the Washington Post and top sources of food poisoning from WebMD, plus adults and ADHD from AARP Bulletin, and more time permitting. Here's our first report. It's not just what you eat, but the time of day you eat it. The timing of your meals can have striking effects on your weight, appetite, and chronic disease risk, by Anahad O'Connor from the Washington Post. Most people know that what and how much you eat plays a major role in your health. But scientists are finding that when you eat can make a difference as well. Studies show that for optimal health, it's best to consume most of your calories earlier in the day rather than later, for example, by eating a large breakfast, a modest lunch, and a small dinner. This pattern of eating aligns with our circadian rhythms, the innate 24-hour clock that governs many aspects of our health, from our daily hormonal fluctuations and body temperatures to our sleep-wake cycles. Because of the way our internal clocks operate, our bodies are primed to digest and metabolize food early in the day. As the day progresses, our metabolisms become less efficient. Studies show that a meal consumed at 9 a.m. can have vastly different metabolic effects than the same meal consumed at 9 p.m. The Study of Meal Timing This emerging field of research, known as chrononutrition, represents a paradigm shift in how nutrition researchers think about food and health. Instead of focusing solely on nutrients and calories, scientists are increasingly looking at meal timing and discovering that it can have striking effects on your weight, appetite, chronic disease risk, and your body's ability to burn and store fat. This is something that, until recently, no one in nutrition had looked at. It's always been, what are you eating, and what's the energy content of your food, or the carbohydrates, protein, and fat? said Marta Garelette, a professor of physiology and nutrition at the University of Murcia in Spain, who studies meal timing and its effects on obesity and metabolism. In today's busy world, it's common for people to skip breakfast and binge at night after a long day at work. Researchers say that whenever possible, it would be better to do the opposite, or at least to space your dinner a few hours from your bedtime. Carlette has found in her research that even in her native Spain, which is famous for its late-eating culture, people who typically eat a large midday lunch and a light dinner develop fewer metabolic problems than people who consume a lot of nighttime calories. In Spain, our main meal is in the middle of the day, from 2 to 3 p.m., she said. We eat 35 to 40 percent of our calories in the middle of the day. And even though we eat dinner late, we don't eat very much, she said. A big breakfast and a light dinner. When you eat your meals is just one of many dietary factors that can influence your metabolic health. And for some people, like night shift workers, it's impossible not to consume meals late at night. But for those whose schedules permit, research suggests that having your biggest meal of the day in the morning or afternoon, rather than at night, could be beneficial. In a new study published in Obesity Reviews, scientists looked at data from nine rigorous clinical trials involving 485 adults. They found that people who were assigned to follow diets where they consumed most of their calories earlier in the day lost more weight than people who did the reverse. They also had greater improvements in their blood sugar, cholesterol levels, and insulin sensitivity, a marker of diabetes risk. In another study, published in Cell Metabolism, scientists recruited a group of adults and examined what happened when they followed an early eating schedule for six days. The schedule included breakfast at 8 a.m., lunch at noon, and dinner at 4 p.m. On a separate occasion, they had the same participants follow a late-eating schedule, with each meal pushed back four hours over a six-day period. The study was small but tightly controlled, involving 16 people who were closely monitored, provided all their meals, and kept on a strict sleep-and-wake schedule in a laboratory setting. Why late-eating makes you hungrier? The researchers found that despite eating the same foods and maintaining the same levels of physical activity, the participants were significantly hungrier when they followed the late-eating schedule. A look at their hormone levels showed why. Eating later caused their levels of ghrelin, a hormone that increases appetite, to spike, while simultaneously suppressing their levels of leptin, a hormone that causes satiety. The study found that eating later caused the participants to burn less fat and fewer calories and pushed their fat cells to store more fat. To our surprise, we found that these mechanisms were all three consistently changed in the direction that would promote weight gain, said Frank Scheer, the senior author of the study and the director of the Medical Chronobiology Program in the Division of Sleep and Circadian Disorders at Brigham and Women's Hospital. Other studies have had similar findings. In one randomized trial at Johns Hopkins, scientists found that healthy young adults burned less fat and had a 20% increase in their blood sugar levels when they ate dinner at 10 p.m., compared with when they ate the same dinner on another occasion at 6 p.m. It's clear that the timing of your meals does matter, not just what you eat, but when you eat it," said Jonathan June, an associate professor of medicine at Johns Hopkins and an author of the study. Eating late makes you less glucose tolerant and also makes your body burn less fat than if you had the same food earlier in the day, he said. How to follow an early eating schedule. Scientists who study meal timing say the following strategies could help you optimize your health. Don't skip breakfast. Garalette and her colleagues found that skipping your morning meal increases your risk of obesity. Mornings are when our bodies are primed to metabolize food. If you're not usually hungry in the morning, have something light, then eat a large lunch. Try to eat the majority of your calories during the morning or afternoon, but not at night, Garalette said. Morning carbs are better than late-day carbs. If you're going to eat sweets or simple carbs like bread, pasta, and pastries, it's better to do so in the morning or early afternoon when we are most insulin-sensitive rather than at night," Garlet said. Try to eat dinner early in the evening. Start by moving your dinner at least one hour earlier than usual. Ideally, you should aim to eat dinner at least two to three hours before going to bed. Make dinner the smallest meal of the day. Even if you can't eat an early dinner, you should try to make breakfast and lunch your biggest meals of the day and dinner your smallest. If you're used to eating a small lunch and a big dinner, then switch the order. You can make your dinner a meal that's heavy on vegetables to lighten it up. Just try to shift more of your calories to breakfast and lunch," said Courtney Peterson, an associate professor in the Department of Nutrition Sciences at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. Try meal timing at least five days a week. Sometimes it's not practical to eat a small or early dinner, and that's okay. In studies, Peterson found that people who ate a light dinner five days a week instead of seven still gained benefits like better blood sugar control and less daily fatigue. Don't think of this as all or nothing, said Peterson. Maybe on some days you can't do it because you're going out to eat with your family, but then on other days you can do it, and that's great. It's important that you do what's practical for you, she said. The Biology of Meal Timing Scientists have uncovered several mechanisms that explain why an early eating schedule is better for your health. Our bodies are better able to secrete insulin, a hormone that controls blood sugar levels, in the morning. We also tend to be more insulin sensitive early in the day, meaning our muscles are better able to absorb and utilize glucose from our bloodstreams. But as the day progresses, we become less and less insulin sensitive. By nighttime, the beta cells in the pancreas that produce insulin become sluggish and less responsive to blood sugar elevations. Another important factor is hormone-sensitive lipase, an enzyme that releases fat from our fat cells. This enzyme is typically most active at night, so it can provide our bodies with energy to keep our organs functioning as we sleep. But Garoulette has found that eating late at night suppresses this enzyme, essentially preventing your body from burning fat. We see a big difference between people that have dinner, for example, four hours before going to bed, she said, and those that have dinner around one hour before going to bed. Up next, foods most likely to give you food poisoning. Reviewed by Kathleen Zellman, RD, LD, MPH from WebMD. Number one, sprouts. They're seeds that have sprouted. Raw and lightly cooked sprouts, especially clover and alfalfa, have caused multi-state outbreaks of food poisoning every year since 2006. The same warm, humid conditions that nurture sprouts also promote Salmonella, Listeria, and E. coli. You might be tempted to toss these antioxidant-packed seedlings fresh into salads and sandwiches, but it's safer to cook the sprouts first. Washing won't kill the germs. Number 2. Raw milk. It's one of the most dangerous sources of foodborne illness, and it is illegal in some states. It's milk from animals that hasn't been heated, or pasteurized, to kill bacteria. Raw milk can harbor E. coli, listeria, campylobacter, and salmonella. They can cause diarrhea for days, vomiting, and serious illnesses like Guillain-Barre syndrome that can lead to paralysis. Check your milk container to ensure it's pasteurized, especially at farmer's markets. Number 3. Eggs Annually, salmonella-tainted eggs cause 79,000 U.S. cases of food poisoning and 30 deaths. Chickens can pass salmonella to eggs before the shell forms. Bacteria can also infect eggs through poultry poop. Refrigerate eggs at or below 40 degrees Fahrenheit. Some products and recipes call for uncooked eggs. Use pasteurized eggs, they're hard to find, or DIY by dunking eggs in 140 degree Fahrenheit water using sous vide for at least three and a half minutes. The eggs may thicken slightly. Number four, flour. You probably wouldn't dip a spoon into raw flour and eat it, but what about cookie dough or cake batter? It's rare, but raw flour can be contaminated with E. coli during harvesting, grinding, and sifting. Bleaching flour won't kill E. coli, which can cause bloody diarrhea, vomiting, and even kidney failure and death. Boxed cake mixes and prepared cookie dough also can harbor germs. Number 5. Bagged lettuce. Fresh salads are another top source of food poisoning, but pinpointing the cause can be tricky. Some outbreaks are tied to a specific kind of greens, often romaine lettuce and spinach or to certain growers or packers. Salmonella and other bacteria can be traced to dirty irrigation water, soil, or human hands. Germs multiply in the juice from cut leaves and can get trapped inside the bags. They can cling to the leaves even after washing. Number 6. Chicken. This poultry is America's number one choice of meat, and every year about a million of us get sick after eating chicken. Like all animals, chicken have bacteria in their gut. Pathogens such as Campylobacter and Salmonella can get on the birds during processing and packaging and go all the way to your cutting board. Don't wash raw chicken because it can contaminate your kitchen. Cooking to proper temperature kills bacteria. Number 7. Pre-Cut Melon Every year, 1.35 million people in the U.S. get Salmonella. Nearly 27,000 are hospitalized. Infections are more common in the summer when more of us enjoy watermelon, cantaloupe, and honeydew melon. The vines grow on the ground where the rinds can pick up germs. Their surface can be hard to sanitize. Pre-cut melon can pass on norovirus, listeria, and other harmful agents. Washed, whole melons are best. Refrigerate pre-cut fruits or pack them in ice. Number eight, oysters. Slurping fresh oysters right out of the shell can be a briny treat. These mollusks draw food from coastal waters through their gills. They trap viruses and bacteria the same way. Eating tainted raw oysters can give you vibriosis, which causes diarrhea, vomiting, fever, and chills in more than 80,000 Americans every year. You can also catch norovirus, sometimes called stomach flu. The only safe way to enjoy oysters is to cook them. Number 9. Raw Milk Cheeses Eating soft cheeses made with raw milk is much riskier than pasteurized cheeses. You're 160 times more likely to pick up listeria with queso fresco, feta, brie, camembert, and blue-veined varieties such as Roquefort. Listeria can spread beyond your gut and cause headaches, loss of balance, and convulsions. It also may lead to miscarriage, stillbirth, or premature delivery. And your newborn can catch listeria from you. Number 10 Ground Beef. E. coli became a household name in the early 1990s when more than 700 adults and kids fell ill from undercooked hamburger patties sold by a fast food chain. Four people died. E. coli remains a mainstay culprit behind food poisoning outbreaks. The bacteria is inside humans and animals naturally. Cook steaks and roasts to 145 degrees Fahrenheit on the inside. Ground beef and pork need to reach 160 degrees Fahrenheit to be safe. Number 11, hot dogs. These ballpark staples are pre-cooked. Americans eat a whopping 20 billion of them each year but they can pick up listeria after they've been packaged. To avoid illness, hot dogs should be just that, hot. Always reheat before you eat. Number 12. Invisible threat. You can come down with food poisoning from 20 minutes to 6 days after your meal. The last thing you ate isn't always what got you sick. To avoid foodborne illness, take it seriously. It sends 128,000 people to the hospital every year. Wash hands and surfaces often. Separate foods to avoid cross-contamination. And keep hot food hot and cold food cold. You can't see or smell germs and viruses the same way you see or smell spoiled food. Up next, attention please. If memory and focus problems are plaguing you at midlife, It could be undiagnosed ADHD. Here's how to tell by Teresa Sullivan Barger from AARP Bulletin. I hit midlife feeling totally overwhelmed. I couldn't concentrate, couldn't prioritize. I chalked it up to menopause or maybe just a series of so-called senior moments. But then I found a therapist who understood exactly my problem. I had attention deficit hyperactivity disorder or ADHD. In fact, I'd been living with it all my life, but the drop in estrogen caused by the onset of menopause amplified its impact, and the coping methods I'd always relied on could no longer keep my racing mind in check. If focus and memory issues have been dogging you, especially if you've experienced menopause and noticed that they've gotten worse, here's more. Hormones, ADHD, and the older brain. Three-quarters of adults ages 18 to 44 who were found to have ADHD were never diagnosed as children. Among adults 60 and older, that number is 100 percent, says David Goodman, M.D., Assistant Professor of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences at Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. That's primarily because half a century ago, clinicians simply didn't know how to screen for it in children. It's a neuropsychiatric disorder that starts in childhood and continues your whole life, he says. It doesn't go away when you get your AARP card, he says. Hyperactivity, distractibility, and executive function challenges, among them time management and impulse control, are all classic symptoms of ADHD. And when women reach paramenopause and menopause, the drop in estrogen can make ADHD symptoms significantly worse. Doctors in the Dark ADHD is seldom taken into consideration when assessing older people with cognitive complaints. Only one in five memory disorder clinics actively screen for ADHD. People can have ADHD their whole life and they are now developing dementia, Goodman says, At that point, you have two processes contributing to cognitive difficulty, he says. Menopausal women experiencing cognitive decline should be screened for ADHD, Goodman says, even if they have never been diagnosed with the disorder. Those who test positive have several avenues to explore, often a combination of behavior strategies, counseling, and medication. Stimulants such as Adderall, Dexedrine and Ritalin are typically used to treat ADHD in young people, but many doctors are reluctant to prescribe them to older people. We were all trained that stimulants cause serious cardiovascular problems, Goodman says, but he questions how common that is. A 2020 review of studies in the Journal of the American College of Cardiology found a link between stimulant use and modest elevations in resting heart rate and blood pressure, as well as other symptoms, so it's important that older adults using ADHD medications be regularly monitored by a physician. But the review concluded there's a paucity of evidence addressing long-term effects of such medication, urging more studies. Dodson argues that the effects observed in the 2020 study were minuscule and of no clinical significance. Some clinical trial results published more than a decade ago cast a shadow on the safety of hormone replacement therapy, but subsequent evaluations have found the dangers of HRT to be overstated, while the health risks of plummeting estrogen are well-established. Before upping your dose of ADHD stimulants, Goodman recommends asking your gynecologist about a three-month trial of HRT to see if it makes an impact on your cognitive function. Managing your symptoms. Slowing cognition at middle age and beyond can come from a number of sources, and not all of them are medical in nature. Our bandwidth goes down as our stress level goes up. If there's a family crisis, if there are health problems, our bandwidth is being strained. People with ADHD have a tendency to overcommit themselves. When you start dropping balls, that is a sign you need to simplify. Those who struggle to reach their goals could benefit from an ADHD coach or a group that helps them stay focused. CHAD, which is Children and Adults with Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, an education and advocacy nonprofit, offers a network of regional support groups at CHAD.org. And that's CHADD.org. And the many symptoms of adult ADHD. Adults with ADHD tend to have a unique mix. There is no cookie-cutter set of experiences. Symptoms may include easily distracted, leaving tasks unfinished, disorganization, inability to focus, physical, verbal, and or emotional hyperactivity, losing things, forgetfulness, trouble relaxing, poor time management or lateness, difficulty starting a task interrupting others, mood swings, difficulty prioritizing tasks, trouble multitasking, extreme impatience, impulsivity or recklessness with little or no regard for personal safety. Up next, Bone Health Alert. Long-term steroid use can hike osteoporosis risk. New guidelines suggest that following a course of osteoporosis meds with a second one may be better at preventing bone loss in this case. Treatment options have also been expanded to include some newer bone health drugs. Talk to your doctor if you've taken oral steroids for more than three months. And the source is the American College of Rheumatology, And that article was from Consumer Reports on Health. And finally, anxious? Say OM, from Consumer Reports on Health. Older adults who did yoga or a short course of cognitive behavioral therapy reported less anxiety, insomnia, and worrying six months later, according to a recent study. Participants received 20 yoga sessions or weekly CBT sessions with a social worker over 10 weeks and the source is the American Journal of Geriatric Psychiatry. Thank you for joining us for the Human Health Program. My name is Emily Crocker. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303. 7867777